just a number. It's what is your individual capacity and how can we map the movement session to what it is that you need and where you're at today. Hey guys, it's Corey from Redefining Strength. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast. If you are used to listening to the podcast, there is a new video format so you can see all the moves, see me discussing and interviewing people and actually watch the videos. If you want to subscribe to YouTube, it's the Fitness Hacks Podcast. In this episode though, I am gonna cover why you need to care about it now. I'm actually going to interview Haley with Pivotal Coaching and talk about tips for training during perimenopause and even functional fitness as you get older. Uh, I'm then gonna go over heavy versus light weights. Which do you need? What should you do? I'll share a meal prep hack, and then we're gonna finish with a fabulous move, especially useful for anybody who has a desk job or a long commute. So let's dive right in. I wanna talk about why you need to care about it now. So it's hard to not live in the moment, to want that instant gratification. It's hard to worry about where you're going to be in the future, especially when it comes to our diet and workout practices and we wanna lose weight. We want results yesterday, let's face it. We want that scale to have changed three days ago, not tomorrow, not in a month, not in a year. We want results right now. And so in our quest to get results faster, a lot of times we ultimately sabotage our long-term success, which is why we need to focus and care about our long-term goals right now. We need to think, how am I setting myself up for success and maintenance of the results I wanna get? So yes, while it's tempting to cut our calories lower, to train harder, to do more workouts right now, all of these things, we have to consider the trajectory they're actually putting us on. And often when we do these things, we do the more right now. Sure, we see maybe a faster change on the scale, but we're creating unsustainable habits. And you can't go back to what you were doing if you wanna maintain a new and better result. So ultimately we're setting ourselves up for failure because we're not caring about the future now. Same thing goes for our mobility work and aches and pains, right? We blame our age a lot of times for aches and pains adding up. Oh, I'm getting older, things are just hurting more. Okay, yes, our body needs and goals do change with age and it, we do sometimes see you know, our recovery slow down a little bit. However, so much of what we're blaming on our age, we also say, well, I used to get away with. And that's sort of an interesting phrase because yeah, sure, you used to get away with it and now the overload is accumulated so you actually are feeling it, but you shouldn't have gotten away with it. So sure, yes, you could go out and run without any aches and pains, but that is the reason why you have the problem now. If we cared about our future body and those aches and pains now, which it's not always easy to do, I get the desire to just get into your workout, sometimes skip the warm up, it's boring, a lot of us don't like it, you know, we have only a limited amount of time so we wanna get to the good stuff, so to speak. I get that, but we're not caring about what we need to now so that we're setting ourselves up for long-term success. And it can be really hard to have that future perspective constantly, but we need to have it if we wanna be training well as we get older. So much of what we do blame on age, so much of what we do blame on perimenopause and menopause is also because of previous dieting and workout practices. We have set ourselves up for failure. And so if you're thinking, well, great, now what do I do about it? There's always a chance to move forward. At any point, you can change your traje trajectory by actually assessing your habits now. So when you're thinking about where do I wanna be in five, 10 years, sure, we don't wanna wait for weight loss that long, but the more we have that perspective, the more we can create habits, which actually do add up a lot more than we think very quickly, but will set us up for long-term success and allow us to get consistent. So the best thing you can do as you're actually setting a plan in place, you're creating those new workouts, you're creating those new dietary habits, is care about the future now. Your future self will thank you for it, and actually your present self will too because those results are gonna snowball a lot faster than you think.
I'm excited to have Haley, the founder of Pivotal Coaching, on the show today. We're gonna to discuss three training tips for perimenopause so that you can move and feel your best till this final day on this planet and really dive into what functional fitness is. Haley is a global educator and coach. She is the educational director of the Gray Institute and a master coach for Precore and Powerplate USA. If you wanna find Haley and connect with her, I will link out in the show notes as well as the video description to all of her social media and the places you can reach out and even ask questions of her live. All right, I'm super excited to talk with Haley about aging well and even tips for training as you enter perimenopause and menopause. I know we can often write ourselves off because of our age and think we can't do things, but that is simply not the case and I'm super excited to have her. So thank you so much, Haley, for joining me today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So not to beat around the bush, let's jump right in. Age is just an excuse, right? We can move well, train hard at every single age, correct? Yeah, age is just a number. By no means does it put any sort of stamp of this is where you start or this is where you end. It's just a number. <laughs> it really is. And I love seeing on your Instagram uh, that you promote moving in every plane of motion, right? It's not just muscles we want to train, but those actual movement patterns. When clients are thinking, you know, functional fitness, like how do I need to train? What do you sort of tell them in terms of moving well? Ah, oh, I love it. You know, at our company Pivotal, we define functional training as anything that subjectively or objectively improves your quality of life. So when we talk about objectively, it could be, yeah, I have, I have the better ability to lift more weight or I can do something faster. That's an actual measurement that comes out and we can see it. But subjectively, it's based on how you feel. So it could be a belief that's limiting you and it's changing that belief and that can functionally change your quality of life. But it can also be like, hey, I'm lifting heavier and I'm feeling better and I'm feeling stronger. I now have more confidence. And that's more functional to what you do in life, maybe in the boardroom, even if you're an executive leading a team. So anything that subjectively or objectively improves your quality of life is functional training. And, and when we look at it from that definition, it really allows us to not just anchor to the physical aspects of movement and how that influences our life, but also the mental and emotional aspects too. I love that you say that because I think so often when we think of working out, we think of just exercising our body when it really is that mental exercise, like the gym is the perfect place to become more empowered, to feel more confident in everyday life. And that confidence is what also translates to aging well. Exactly, exactly. It's now it's having a new perspective based on what you can accomplish, not just in a movement perspective, but what you can accomplish in life because you could do something from a movement perspective as well. And I also think when we think about functional fitness, you know, there's of course different uh, opinions about what that is. And so people will be like, well, so I can't do my bicep curls. I've got to do this thing that mimics, you know, moving it exactly the way I do in everyday life. And it, it doesn't have to be that limiting because each exercise we do is also creating that mind body connection. It's creating that recruitment pattern so we can move better and like call on muscles more quickly to actually be more coordinated to avoid falling or fractures or any of those things. Exactly. And if bicep curls are your jam because they make you feel better in your t-shirt or, you know, in your shirt and even more in the mirror, well then do them. That's functional to you. And when clients ask, you know, like, Hey, I'm 50, can I still do X exercise? What do you tell them? You know, I always anchor to the fact that how I train and how I 
program for a client is based off of their purpose. What are they doing it for to begin with and their capacity? Each person enters, you know, a movement session with a different capacity. And that's not just at the point at which they start exercising, but it's day to day too, because every day we're faced with different stressors and those stressors will change our capacity. So I'm going to always tweak and create on demand based on what a client will bring me, but I anchor it back to the purpose. Why are we doing this to begin with? You know, does it functionally make them better at something or is it required of their sport or even in their life and then their capacity? And I love that in no part of that, did you say, yes, it's because you are now 50 or you are 40 and you hear I'm too old at like, I literally had clients they come in at 25, they're like, I'm too old now. I'm like, okay, you're saying that and someone at 70 isn't saying that. So age is just a number and fitness is about ability. It is about meeting ourselves where we're at, staying focused on the trajectory we want to put ourselves on. Exactly. You know, just as an example, I play uh, competitive recreational tennis. I'm on the women's 4.0 USDA team, which is like, you know, it's a pretty good competitive level. And I consider myself an, an athlete. But I'm on the same team as a 42-year-old woman, as a 70-year-old woman who's across the net from me. And I, that 70-year-old woman is, you know, giving me back a ball that I've really got to chase down. So age is just a number. It's what is your individual capacity and how can we map the movement session to what it is that you need and where you're at today. And with capacity, obviously coming in, people might have injuries or aches and pains. How do you handle that when someone's like, oh, I'm getting injured because I'm getting older? How do I handle that? Well, um, or what would you tell them? (laughs) What would I tell them because they're getting older? Well, that's going to be their belief, right? And so I have to find out why they believe that way and then create a language and a conversation around how they can transform that thought process into one that serves them better, right? If, if they come to me and they say, well, I'm, I'm getting injured because I'm getting older. Well, tell me why you believe that. That would be the first question that I would ask them. And then they might give me some sort of response that then allows me to ask the next question, which is, well, what do you want to do about it? Because then it allows me to see what obstacles they may be up against that's limiting their progress from where they're at now. I start to uncover those underlying beliefs as to not only why they believe that, but how and what do they want to do about it. And then the next question I'll ask to that and guiding them through that conversation in terms of limiting beliefs is in what ways can I help you? Because then I start to create a support system for them to really bridge the gap between where they are to where they want to be. I love that. And I think that's like a great series of questioning that we can even ask ourselves when we have any belief out there. And speaking about beliefs and limiting beliefs, uh, as we enter perimenopause, transition into menopause, even reach postmenopausal, that often can create that hang up on how we feel we need to train. Can you provide some tips as to how we can make sure that we're still training intensely, still doing the things we love, really seeing results, even as we see these hormonal changes? Of course. You know, in fact, I have, you know, I, I think about this a lot because I train a lot of women in this age bracket, but, um, 
it was hard for me to come up with three, but I have really three important ones. And before I share those, I want to point out a few things about the stages of perimenopause to menopause so that I can build the story as to why these tips are important. Uh, first and foremost, we know that women today, the average lifespan is 81 years. That's a, that's a good amount of time, right? We're going to be a around for a long time and we have a life in which we can live the ways and do the things that we want to do. But the average age at which a female reaches menopause is 51 years. That means that if I potentially could live up to 81 years, 40% of my life is after menopause. So what we have to think about as we're starting to go through perimenopause and we're experiencing the symptoms of menopause is that we need to prepare ourselves for the 40% of the rest of our life because if menopause produces this deterioration in our hormones and the loss of muscle and the loss of bone mineral density, then how can we combat that in such a way so that we can have better longevity and better function for what we want to do? And so we look at menopause and perimenopause, and we see that there's going to be this change between estrogen and progesterone, and those things are going to cause some symptoms. But I feel it's important we point out what estrogen does for the body so that we know how we can create solutions for longevity. So if, when you do the research and you study up on it, estrogen not only stimulates muscle growth, but it helps with strength. It's important. It's an important anabolic hormone in that. And with menopause, we see a reduction in that. So we got to make sure that we look to grow muscle as well as strengthen our muscle. It supports mitochondria. It, it sweeps out free radicals. That's crucial. It helps to regulate inflammation. Ooh, for those of us who are going through perimenopause or have got reached menopause, we might have, might feel that inflammation in our bodies now. And so it does that in concert with progesterone. Uh, estrogen also manages blood sugar. That's huge. It helps to regulate our appetite. <laughs> okay, another big one, right? Because if we're going through perimenopause and we're just we just want to eat everything in sight and we're losing muscle mass, we're going to gain fat and that can lead to other health problems. It will manage our moods and it controls our body temperature as well as our blood pressure and it helps to build bone. So given all those things that estrogen does, oof, if we start to see a decrease in estrogen through perimenopause, what are we going to do about it? Which leads us to the in-concert hormone, which is progesterone. So what does progesterone do? It increases connective tissue stability. That's crucial when it comes to our lig ligaments and tendons and maintaining you know, joint control and mechanics when we're working out, as well as moving in life. It protects the brain. Ooh, so <laughs> what are we going to do about that? We, it provides pain relief. It builds bone. It helps to regulate heart rate variability, which is a big part of our autonomic nervous system and how we combat stress and recover. It maintains body temperature. That's a big one. Just like estrogen, if we're getting hot flashes during perimenopause, uh, this is why. Uh, it also produces the cooling down inflammation suppresses immunity. So those are what estrogen and progesterone do simultaneously. So my first tip in, as we reach this stage in our life 
is to implement what you call sit cardio. So take a look at your current cardiovascular sessions. And oftentimes we're doing sustained long duration, steady state cardiovascular exercise. It's not a bad thing. I mean, there's, there's a ton of benefits to, to moving and moving in a sustained way. We're getting endurance, you know, we're burning calories and things like that. But when we implement sit cardio, that stands for sprint interval training. So instead of doing steady state, I recommend doing super short interval burst efforts. Now the word sprint can be confusing. In fact, many people might be thinking, does that mean I have to do like max effort sprints on a track or be running at high speeds on a treadmill? No. What it means is that the effort at which you exude doing cardio is at your, keyword, your high intensity effort. So could you be on a bike doing anywhere between 10 to 30 seconds of sprint as fast as you can, and then recovering interval training. Now the research shows that when we do sit cardio, it increases our lean muscle mass. That's huge. We need it because we're losing it with the loss of estrogen. It decreases our fat mass. Another big one, because if our app, if our appetite is going all over the place, okay, we might be gaining some, some weight from overeating. It helps to improve our insulin sensitivity because estrogen was a big part of regulating our blood sugar, right? And then it reduces our stress, mental stress, which is, which is big. Not only do the physiological effects of perimenopause affect how we feel, how we think, but if we can have and implement some type of exercise that reduces that stress and really improves our mood and outlook on life, then there's going to be some some really great benefits that we're going to receive from that. Not to mention, that's very time efficient if you really think about the excuse that we don't have enough time. Exactly. In fact, when you implement sit cardio, you only need to do it two times per week for anywhere between 8 to 12 minutes in totality. So think 10 to 30 seconds of sprint bursts with a rest recovery, and then repeat that three to four times. And you can do up to three sets of that to make eight to 12 minutes of sit cardio. And you need that recovery too. Like I wanna highlight that because I think so often we're like, oh, I just wanna work harder and to feel more destroyed, people cut out that cardio, but to actually make it be your sprint intensity, you need to rest. You need to almost feel like, okay, I'm ready to go. I wanna do this right now. Yeah, you're you're right on the money there. Oftentimes if we if we don't rest, then it becomes that steady state again. We're just even if we're at a high heart rate or a high intensity and we just stay there because we didn't recover, it's still steady state. And we got to we got to create that inundation or fluctuation between high to low. So give yourself a short burst and then recover. And this can be done like I said on a bike. It could be done on a rower. It doesn't have to be high impact like a treadmill or running outside. If you like to do water aerobics, could you do that cross-country ski skier as fast as you possibly can for 10 seconds and then rest? And then do that three to four times for three sets, you know? Like th there's some really cool ways in which you can implement it based on what you currently love to do. And it just changes up what you're doing routinely as steady state. 
I love it. All right, so we got our sit cardio. What is the next tip to help us make sure that we're doing everything we can to still see results? Ah, my number two is lift heavy. I like this one. <laughs> and now I'm so glad you asked the, the previous question about how do you train for, for any individual if they're at this age. Lift heavy at your capacity. So what is specific to you and what you can do is the, the, the weight at which you'll lift. That's heavy to you. Now that the weight at which you lift could be measured in a one rep max which we won't do, but it could be a sub rep max where you might do a certain percentage of what you believe would be your one repetition max to get an idea of where you, you would be in terms of what you would lift to lift heavy. Now, when it comes to lifting heavy, you want to make sure you warm up properly. You have, you know, good, good extended warm up between 10 to 15 minutes. You prepare the tissues to move, to slide and glide. You prepare the joints to be loaded. It's multi-directional. You increase tissue temperature. You start to increase tempo by the end of that warm up so that you are ready to lift heavy. Now, when it comes to lifting heavy, we're looking at changing what we traditionally see in this age group of three sets of 20 reps. We don't want to do that. When we're lifting heavy, we're saying, try to do anywhere between four to six sets of six or fewer repetitions. That's very different from what a lot of us have done in the past. We've heard, you know, the higher reps, people stay in that strength endurance range. They don't want to try and push the loads towards that more and not necessarily one rep max, but the lower rep ranges there. Those are the things that like they think, you know, power lifters do, or you only do with specific sports. So explain why the lower rep range, because I know that's going to be like, what? <laughs> so a lower rep range, what it does is it tells your nervous system to send a signal to those muscles to say, I need more muscle fiber recruitment in order to overcome this force. And if we can recruit more muscle fibers in, under a load in such a way, what we have is an adaptation of strength and lean muscle mass, which is what we need to see with the loss of estrogen and the Im imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And when we have increased lean muscle mass and we start to see more strength by more muscle firing, we have increased metabolic rate. Oh, that's a big one. Not only when you're exercising, but after exercise. If we increase our lean tissue mass, then we're gonna burn more calories at rest. So that's why lifting heavy is so crucial. Also, when we lift heavy and those muscle fibers are recruited and we re recruit more of that muscle, it's gonna start to pull on the bone. And when we pull on the bone, we're introducing forces that are necessary to increase bone mineral density. <laughs> that's another key thing that we start to lose in terms of as we age and, many, and during perimenopause. And so one, well, actually, let me say two. There are two suggestions I'll give when it comes to lifting heavy. One way that I like to implement heavier loaded workouts for my clients and athletes who are new to lifting heavy is I'll do clusters. 
So let's say the overall goal is I want to do four sets of six repetitions at this 85% of my one RM. Well, I can't necessarily do that much weight for six repetitions. So I'll, what I'll do is I'll do clusters. And by clusters is I'll take that six repetitions and I'll break it down into two reps every 15 seconds. So whereas for the six repetitions, I could probably get away with, let's say 10 pounds, just to be general. Um, when I do two reps with a small 15 second rest and then do another two reps three times to make six reps, I can now do 15 pounds. So I'm a lifting a heavier load under the prescribed sets and rep ranges that produce the strength gains that I need and the lean muscle mass that I need. So that's number one in terms of how I would implement lifting heavy because it's a, a safer way and it really progresses that person to newer loads, newer weights and things like that. The second thing I would suggest is implementing what is called whole body vibration. Whole body vibration or power plate is a vibrating platform that provides rhythmical, smooth vibrations, mainly up and down, but it also goes side to side and front to back. Now research shows when we introduce whole body vibration training into the mix, we can increase force in the body without increasing mass. So you have Newton's law, force equals mass times acceleration. What whole body vibration training does is it accelerates you on earth. And so if I don't have, if even if I don't put a weight in my hand, I'm increasing force in my body simply by doing a squat on a power plate. In fact, if I do 30 seconds of squats, on what's called 30 hertz low or the number of times it vibrates per second, I'm getting 900 muscle activations in one set alone. So there I am increasing force <laughs> and here I'm starting to go towards my goal of increasing my lean muscle mass and increasing my strength without the impact of having to lift a heavy weight, which I might not be able to grip or hold or control. And I think that hit on so many important things when we think about programming for ourselves, right? There's not just one way to create the training density, the training volume that we actually need. You can break things down. You can sort of fool your body into thinking it's doing the six reps by breaking it down into these little clusters with the very short rest, right? You can use things like rest pause technique, like escalating density training, like different techniques to create. I love that one. Uh, different techniques to create that, that quality volume and end up moving heavier loads. Like we, we think about the, the weight we can lift for one rep, but it's really the amount of weight you can lift over that session too. And then even different ways of creating that progression, that instability, that other type of resistance, the different loading placements, the vibration. There's just so many other ways to challenge your body to create that change. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, lift heavy, um, pick movements that are more global, that it recruit more people to the party. Squats, deadlifts, those are the real key ones to implement in terms of lifting heavy. Of course, you have your auxiliary movements like, you know, bicep curls and tricep presses. You can still do those. But when it comes to that heavy lift, look for those global, more compound movements to implement. 
Yes, all the movements we seem to be warned against doing even like deadlifts, hmm. Anyway, that's a whole nother subject, but tip number three. Okay, so we're doing our sick cardio, we're lifting heavy. What is one final thing we can sort of implement to see amazing results? Movement variability. Movement variability is my tip number three. We have Wolf's Law and we have Davis's Law. And what we learn from Wolf's Law is that bone tissue models along the line of stress. And Davis's Law teaches us that soft tissue models along the lines of stress. And so oftentimes what we see when people start to implement exercise programs, whether it's cardio or strength training, is that they do it in a linear fashion only. And so we start to move and load only in flexion and extension, but life and sport occurs in 3D. So when I say movement variability, I'm talking about three direct 3D directions. So think front to back, side to side, and in rotation. Can you take a lunge and instead of lunging forward, can you lunge to the side? The answer is yes. And by lunging to the side, now I'm going through the frontal plane of motion. I'm creating AB and adduction at the hip, and I'm starting to recruit more medial and lateral components of the leg muscles. So I would definitely want to do that. Movement variability is going to be key, and we can do that through 3D direction. We can also do that through a vector. Now, a vector is a force with a point of application and a direction of application, as well as a line of pull. So let's say you are doing a cable pull, okay? So you have the cable set right at your chest and you're pulling it towards your body. That vector is at chest height and it's front to back. But if I took that cable and I raised it up above my head, now it's coming from high to low and I have a different vector. While I'm still doing a pull, I'm working different muscle groups and I have a different force profile on the body. I'm providing variability. Soft tissue and hard tissue models along the line of stress. So how can I change the stress that I'm giving to my body? One way is through a vector. Tempo would be the third way we can provide variability. Sometimes life happens slow. Sometimes life is at a standstill and sometimes life happens fast. So if we're, you know, getting a little bit older and we need to cross the street at a really rapid pace, but it's an icy, snowy day in Chicago where I live, you could potentially slip and fall. Can you react quickly enough? Or let's say you're pulling your luggage to the airport. That's something that you have to do sustained for a long period of time. So we need different tempos as well. We need to be able to be fast, slow, and, and hold something. And then finally, I want you to ask yourself in terms of movement variability, are you only doing things bilaterally, two hands or two legs simultaneously, or are you putting only one hand into play at a time unilaterally? Because when we load the body unilaterally, we create an asymmetrical load and the body has to respond differently. And that's one way we can create variability in our movement. I think that's amazing because I do think we so often not only move in one plane of motion, but think about creating pro progression through just one pathway, usually adding loads when there are the other tempos, there are the different loading placements. There's so many other opportunities to make 
moves the same but different to create that progression and even stimulate that mind-body connection in a different way so that we're able to recruit muscles quickly when we need in everyday life because we've done all these different things, right? And like even with the unilateral, it's the anti-rotational, not just power and rotation. It's it's considering all these variables and seeing it as fun. Like if someone were to say my workout's boring, I'm like, okay, but you could take the deadlift and do a hundred different little changes to that deadlift to make it super fun and create that progression over time while still giving yourself something you can track and progress and see results from. Exactly. Well, those are awesome tips. And I know everybody's going to be writing their progressions right now and implementing them. And I know I'm going to get lots more questions about how people can use all these different things in their workout routines. But I love that there's always a way to meet yourself where you're at and create progression. And it does come back to the fundamentals. We just have to realize that what used to work might not work in the same form anymore because nothing really works forever. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Haley. Can you let everybody know where they can find you if they want to follow up and learn more and see some great functional movements and training? Yes, of course. You can follow me on Instagram at Hales the Trainer. If you are a movement professional, you want to learn more about our education, you can go to pivotal underscore coaching on Instagram. And then for those of you who just want to ask me some more questions, you can find me on the Any Question app under the Strength channel. It's free. Go on there, ask me a question, and I'll be able to answer it. Well, thank you so much, Haley. It's been amazing. I can't wait to hear what you guys all think and what new uh, tweaks to your movements you're going to be making because of this segment. Heavy versus light weights, which should you include? So this question slightly always bothers me because really no weight should ever feel light. No matter what rep range we do, no matter what interval we do, the weight should always feel heavy for whatever we're trying to accomplish. So I do wanna make that point, okay? No matter what you're doing, weight should challenge you. You need to use harder variations if you wanna see that muscle hypertrophy, if you wanna see those improvements in your strength, if you wanna see those gains. So no weight should ever feel light. What really is being asked with that question of light versus heavy is should we do lower reps and heavier loads or should we do higher reps and lighter loads? And the annoying answer to that is it depends. Plus, you should actually include both at all times. There are different benefits when you do lower reps and heavier weights versus higher reps and lighter weights. You're working maybe on more maximal strength versus strength endurance. Both have their place and we ultimately need both in our routines. And then even the muscle group or the type of movements you're including can really impact what you need to see results. We might use higher rep ranges when we're doing activation to establish that mind-body connection or more isolated work where we can't necessarily move the same loads, plus we want to fatigue more muscle fibers. We might even do those higher rep ranges later on in our workout while starting with some maximal strength. And you might think, hey, I'm not a power lifter. Why do I ever need to do like five or six reps? But it's even more important, as Haley actually mentioned in the interview I did with her, that we do those uh, lower reps and heavier weights because we want to really recruit as many muscle fibers as possible. We need to be able to move those heavier loads and have that mind-body connection and neuromuscular control if we want to age well. But we need that rep range variety in our routines if we actually want to see the best results as fast as possible. So when you're thinking heavy versus lightweight, the answer is always heavy. It just depends on the rep range or interval setup that you're doing. You wanna make sure that you're challenging yourself. So the last three reps always kind of feel like, 
I really would have liked to put the weight down, right? You don't want your form to break down. Sometimes you are gonna cheat a little bit on those last couple reps, especially the more experienced you are to really push yourself to get to that heavier weight to progress in those movements. But you want to feel like you really didn't want to do those three and your mind wants to give up before your body actually did. So remember, if it challenges you, it will change you. Always challenge yourself with the heaviest weight you can use for the rep range, but include a diversity of rep ranges in your workout routine. I wanted to share with you a great macro hack if you're really lazy or if you're worried about produce going bad, and that is to buy frozen fruits and veggies. So I know we worry about the quality of the nutrients in the frozen fruits and vegetables, and I just wanna reassure you that it's actually a great way to make sure that you're getting nutrient dense fresh foods. When vegetables and fruits are frozen, they're actually frozen at the peak of ripeness and there's no deterioration as they're actually shipped. So it's a great way to make sure you are getting very nutrient dense quality foods. Not to mention it can make it easier so that you can have a variety of fruits and vegetables in your diet. I know when we get fresh, fresh produce, we don't want it to go to waste. So for me, I'll get more limited variations and that can make my meal prep a little bit more boring. By getting some fresh and then even some frozen, I can throw in a frozen cauliflower while I have fresh broccoli, right? So I can mix things up without worrying about foods going bad as much. And it's really easy in a pinch to have that diversity there. Not to mention frozen fruits and vegetables can easily be thrown into smoothies. They can be easy for meal prep because you basically can put them in a container, put them in the fridge, and then even microwave them with the other things that you've prepped. But buying frozen is not a bad thing and it can even allow you to have that in ingredient nutritional breakdown right on the label there too for even single ingredient foods. So don't hesitate to buy frozen. It will help you add diversity to your prep, make it simple, give you the label and nutritional breakdown right there to compare even because fruits and vegetables aren't created equal. There are higher carb fruits and lower carb fruits. And by actually having that frozen label there right, right in front of you so you don't even have to enter it, you can see what you're including and find the balance that works for you. So meal prep hack, buy frozen fruits and vegetables. It will help you include diversity and hit your macros. I wanna share one of my favorite movements that you can basically do every single day if you wanna improve your mobility and stability and reverse the constant forward flexion from sitting at your computer or driving during a long commute every single day. So if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out the video on YouTube because I wanna show you actually how to do this movement. So let's just say you're spending a ton of time, you know, over your computer, over your technology, hunched over, rounded forward. We wanna think about opening up our chest. We wanna think about engaging our back. We even wanna think about reversing that constant hip flexion. So one of my favorite moves is the scapular wall hold. It seems really simple. You're basically leaning back on your elbows against a wall. It's really tempting to walk your feet really far out, but you don't wanna do that. You almost wanna keep them closer to the wall and think more about opening up your chest and stretching your chest through engaging your upper back by driving your elbows back into the wall. It's as if you've almost done a row and you're holding the weights up at your chest. So you're just leaning back on those elbows and you're walking forward a little bit to create that resistance, but you just wanna make sure that you're not shrugging. As you're doing that, you're thinking about it as a reverse plank. So you're actually engaging your glutes to drive your hips into an extension. So basically this is a very simple move you can do getting up from your computer just against the wall right there, right? Even in your chair, if you don't wanna work on the hip, extension. You can even drive your elbows back into the back of your chair, but it's a great way to reverse the constant forward flexion, really even cue yourself to have that better posture. And it's activation, which also through the process of activating the opposing muscle, then stretches out your pecs, which can get tight because you're sitting rounded forward. So think about doing this move even for 20 seconds, a couple times during the day, whenever you can get up, maybe when you go to the bathroom, it's just a great way to stretch out and something that's 
an easy way to establish that mind-body connection, strengthen that posterior chain, and again, reverse that constant forward flexion. That's a wrap for this episode of the Fitness Hacks Podcast. Comment below with what you learned from it and your biggest takeaway.